So today is the day of Pentecost, so I'm going to be reading from Acts uh, chapter 1. We're going to turn there, and I'm going to be reading from today's New International Version, in case it looks a little bit not quite like what you have in the Pew Bible or the Bible that you um, are using. But uh, so Acts, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has, by his, has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I say, eat, pray, Love. <laughs> Sleep. I heard that. <laughs> Eat, pray, love. I don't know. Some of you may have seen the movie or read the book. Um, some people have a little thing in their, like in our uh, eating area window, it says, live, love, laugh. Okay. Uh, Mother Teresa said this, small things done with great, anybody know? Love. Love. Small things done with great love. Or Tennyson, tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. That's the kind of centrality of love in our lives. Love is something that we all aspire to, something that we all know is important. It's built into us somehow. But what is it? What is love? And here's another question. You know, look at Acts 1, verse 8. You will receive power. We understand that the Holy Spirit is given to empower us. The Holy Spirit is the agency of God's working. Right? The Father wills it. The Son expresses it, explains it to us. The Spirit does it. We see this in creation in Genesis 1. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. But what is a Spirit to empower us to do? See, when we... When we think of being empowered, we think about doing something. And the thing that we do can be motivated by various things. It can be motivated by love. But the same action can also be motivated by fear or other things. 
In Acts 1.8, it says that we are to be empowered for what reason? Oh, some of you guys, I know you memorized this when you were little even. Yeah, some of us. I remember this a long time ago because I grew up in a Christian home. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses. Witnesses. We are supposed to witness. Be witnesses to what God has done. All right? Now, what is our motivation for doing it? There are many motivations. Sometimes, some of us are motivated to do it because God said it. You shall be my witness. I better go out and be a witness. So, what's our motivation? Obligation. Right? A sense that, oh, I better do this. I should do this. Some of us will do it out of fear. Because, well, God said I'm supposed to do this. If I don't do it, oh, no, you know, God's going to get after me. Okay? Those are all motivations. Some of us are motivated by a sense of accomplishment. Right? Um, how many people can I share the gospel with? You know, like Cliff's father-in-law has shared the good news with so many people. And he's seen so many people come to faith in Christ. Now, is that something that he should be proud of? Is that something, you know, oh, another notch on my belt? See, so some of us will do it out of pride. But what should our motivation be? All the same actions, but different motivations. Are we doing it because, wow, I understand how much God loves me, how much he has done on my behalf. And if I love him this much, I do this out of gratitude. And I do it out of a love for others who need to know. Is that our motivation? Here's another fill in the blank. God is love. John tells us God is love. The spirit empowers us primarily to love. To do what God wants us to do is to love. To love each other, to love this world, to love him. God's very nature is love. That's why it says God is love. That is the essence of who God is. Now, we call God a trinity. This is Pentecost. Next Sunday is what? Trinity Sunday. Okay, for those of you who know your Christian calendar, for those of you who don't, now I'm introducing you to it. I hope that you remember this. That the week after Pentecost, the Sunday after Pentecost is called Trinity Sunday. And on Trinity Sunday, we talk especially about the nature of God. The fact that he is three persons and yet one being. Now I say that kind of glibly, but have you ever thought about what that means? How can God be three persons and yet one being? And what ramifications does that have for love? I, I finished a, a book, a very interesting book, a little while ago by Miroslav Wolf. Uh, the name of the book might surprise you. Allah, a Christian response. Now, what do the Muslims say about God? What is their big declaration? God is one. God is one. And they accuse Christians of having what? Three gods. 
So the fact that God is three persons and yet one being, he is one God, what does that mean? And what does that mean for us as Christians? How are we supposed to live our lives? And especially, how are we supposed to love? So think about this with me for a second. This is going to get a little complicated. So I need you to all think like adults for a little while here, okay? I'm going to give you three propositions about the fact that God is a trinity. The first thing is that God's acts are all caused by all three persons. All right? Three persons and yet one being. And so if he is one being, then whatever he does is done not just by one, but by all. So although the Holy Spirit, we think of him as an agency of God's being, and yet really all of the the persons of the Trinity are acting in concert. You can't have the Father do one thing, and then the Son do another thing, and then the Holy Spirit does another thing, all right? And they never diverge. Remember what Jesus said? You know, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. Okay, he's expressing this, one, this, this oneness of action. Another thing that this means is that the three persons mutually indwell each other. If you want a technical term for this, it's called perichoresis, but I don't expect you to remember that. But what it means is that all three persons indwell each other. They are always in each other. None of them is ever alone. All right? Now, think about people around you. Are there people that you want to have always with you? Okay, maybe when you first fall in love, you want that person with you all the time, and then later it's like, oh, you know, I need some alone time. This is my me time. God never has me time, okay? Because the three persons are always together. They are always in love with each other. Okay, now let me give you one more. And this, this one's a really tough one to wrap your brain around. God's oneness and God's threeness are beyond our understanding of oneness and threeness. All right? The fact that God is one does not mean that he is one thing in the universe and then there's a whole bunch of other things. It is true that he is one. And if I say that, you know, I am one, I'm an integrated person, well, that's good, but I stand apart from everybody else. But in some sense, God does not. And I don't understand this, and I don't think anybody does, but we know this is the declaration that we have in Scripture. His oneness is different from ours, and his threeness is different from ours. He exists as three persons, and yet they're eternal, inseparable, interpenetrating. Each person has a divine essence in it. So how is that three? Yet it is. That is what is revealed to us. Now, because God is a trinity, if you take all three of these things, okay, put them together, because God is a trinity, then God's love is not self-seeking. God's love is not self-seeking. It's not that he loves himself, all right? If I say, oh, yeah, I love myself, you go, well, you know, one of those, huh? You know, all right? 
And, and we try to, you know, kind of get around that. And in psychology, even they'll say things, you know, oh, well, in order to love others, you got to love yourself and all this kind of thing, right? But there, there, there's also this sense of um, what psychologists will call ego boundaries. You know, you have to understand the other as different from yourself. God always understands the other as different from himself. Each person of the Trinity knows the difference between himself and the other members of the Trinity. And so when they love, they love perfectly. There is always this perfect sense of community and relationship. And so if this were not the case, then uh, the, the Muslims would have a case against us because all love then would be ultimately selfish. Our love as an expression of God's love would be a self-love. Are you following me on this? Okay. If you're not following me, that's okay. All right. But I hope that you kind of get the sense of what I'm saying, that God's threeness is very important, as well as his unity, the fact that he is a trinity. Okay, I'm going to take this even one step further, and let's see if you can follow me on this. That if all love is ultimately selfish then all creation is an illusion because it is just an expression of God's self-love. The fact that God understands that there is an otherness there means that when he creates, he creates beings that can stand on their own, that have an integrity to themselves. And the sad thing about that, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago at Grace, that we can then isolate ourselves. We can become so wrapped up in ourselves. If you've read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, and he talks about this, how you have these beings who are in hell. C.S. Lewis said, hell is locked from the inside. God wants to love those people, but they lock him out because they are so self-involved that that reality, the beauty and the goodness and the truth of the things that are real, They just don't want to let it in. They're too wrapped up in themselves. Read the book. You'll get what I'm talking about. God created beings who can be in and of themselves an integrity. So if we know then that God is a trinity, then true love is not a self-love, but it is loving of the other. It is love for the other person's benefit. It is doing what is best for the other person, even at a cost to ourselves. And we sang about that this morning. I appreciate Christian saying that. Sin is broken. God's spirit reaching into our lives and breaking the power of sin so that we no longer isolate ourselves, but we're able to reach back out to God. That in itself is a reflection of the love of the persons of the Trinity for each other. All of us are made in the image of God. We are made to love. That's why it's so integral. You know, I was, I was watching, here's a fun movie, Thor. The, what's the second one? The Dark World, is that what it's called? Something like that. Anyway, you, did you, anybody see the second Thor movie? No? I mean... Okay. Thank you, Pastor Hans Eric. Okay. Yeah, we, we watch together. It's what we do in the office, you know, during the week. No. And, and, you know, it's a big action movie and there's all stuff going on. And at the heart of it is what? 
love. Thor's love for Jane. Thor's and Loki, their love together as brothers. Um, their mother's love for them. I mean, there's all these threads of love in this big action movie. It's integral to who we are. We are made in the image of God. So what happened to us? And that's the second circle on that, um, that diagram that I was telling you about. This world is damaged by evil. And so all those little swiggly lines, they mean that they separate people from each other. They separate us from our world, and they separate us from God. Evil has isolated us from each other, from our world, and from God. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to love. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, he helps us to love, to love God, to love each other, to love our world. How do we get empowered by the Holy Spirit? This is what the Bible, and I mentioned the word a minute ago, but the word is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. See, the problem is when we think about love, we tend to think of it as some heroic effort on our part, sort of like Thor and Jane, you know, they're making these heroic efforts to love. Okay, oh, if I just, you know, make a big enough effort to love. And yet, if we really want to love, we need to be filled. When you fill a cup, how much effort does the cup put into it? I mean, come on, you, know, you, 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 put, the, you put the cup there on the table, come on, come on. Or I'm going to fill you, you know. No, we don't have to do it. We just fill the cup. Now, when can you not fill the cup? When it's already got some in it, right? The Holy Spirit can fill us, but first we have to empty ourselves. If there's any effort, that's what it is. It's what sometimes is called surrendering to the Holy Spirit, sometimes called confession. The emptying of ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can fill us. We just need to surrender, to be available to God so that he can transform us. And there will not necessarily be a big heroic effort of love. You know, sometimes we only see those kinds of efforts. We miss the little things. But it's those little acts of love that help us know that the Holy Spirit is present. And you know, Jesus said that uh, the one who's faithful in little things will be faithful in much. If you can love a little, you can love a lot. Uh, Mother Teresa had it, right? Small things done with great love. We're so enamored of the big thing. It's really in the little things where we start to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? What's the first one? Love. See, love is the start of all the fruit of the Spirit. Love and then joy. Joy comes from knowing God's love. I said this uh, last week. Yeah, I think so. That happiness is our response to our circumstances. But joy is our response to God. Because our circumstances change all the time. They go up and down. 
So our happiness is going to go up and down. But God's love for us never changes. And because it never changes, our joy doesn't change. So Jesus promised in John 16, a joy that will be complete and a joy that will never be taken away. Not dependent on our circumstances. That's joy, peace. If we really know God's love, we will bring God's shalom into the world. We will start to help make relationships right. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's what shalom is. It's not just a cessation of conflict, but it's things made right again. Patience or forbearance literally means having a long fuse. Uh, um, Especially for us parents, right? Oh, man, I just lost my patience. And uh, I was hearing somebody, I can't remember who said this, but they said, when I'm working with people, I think it was a psychotherapist who said, um, when I'm working with people and say, I lost my patience, no, you probably never had it in the first place. (laughs) It's just the circumstances never revealed how short your fuse was until something came along. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the longer fuse. The other fruit of the Spirit, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all fruit of the Spirit. They are all what happens when we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he grows these things in us. It's not a result of our efforts. It's not a heroic effort on our part. So we empty ourselves. And probably the first thing we all need to confess is pride. Pride. Because we think that it's about the heroic effort, or we think that we can do it on our own. And what we need is to come to that place where we understand, I can't do this on my own. My fuse is too short. I don't know how to love. I can't put others first because I keep turning away. I can't be there with that person because I don't have enough love. I need the Holy Spirit. Don't confuse repentance with resolve. You know, say, well, I'll repent of my sin. Well, that doesn't mean resolving to do more. Okay? Repent means a change of direction. When you change directions and say, I'm going to turn away from trying to do this all on my own and turn to God, who's the only one who can fill me with his love. I need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Changing direction instead of trying to be good, letting God create goodness in us. Why are we pointed in the wrong direction? Nobody wants to be pointed in the wrong direction. People don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I think I'll be evil, right? I mean, look at Google. <laughs> no. Yeah. no, don't be evil. And yet a lot of people think, oh, Google's you know, the worst thing to ever happen to Mountain View, right? How many of you live in Mountain View and see the housing prices skyrocketing and all that kind of thing, right? You know, don't be evil. We don't want to be evil, and yet we're pointing in the wrong direction. Why? Because evil is a twisting of what is good. So we don't intend for this to happen. That's why we need confession. We need to recognize the ways in which we have been turning from God and we need to turn back to him. How many of you know what Silk Road is or was? Any techies here? Okay. Silk Road was like this, uh, it was on the dark web. It was this, this website where 
what did they do? Billions of dollars of drug trafficking. Do you know who the guy was that was responsible for this? His, guy, his name was Ross Ulbricht. He was an Eagle Scout. Do you know that? He was an Eagle Scout. He wanted to be financially secure. He wanted a world where everyone is free. These are the things in his manifesto. He wanted to be worth something to people. He wanted people to remember him as somebody who contributed to the good of the world. And he created Silk Road. And then they caught him in the San Francisco Library branch that I used to go to when I was a kid, the Glen Park branch. <laughs> That's my claim to fame now. That's where they got him. They traced his computer there, and FBI agents broke in and grabbed him. But that's what he was trying to do. And you know why they got him? Because he had paid to get somebody killed. That's how twisted this all got. See, we don't intend to point in the wrong direction. It happens in small ways. And slowly, we're turned the wrong way. We need to turn back to God. That's what repentance is. Once we get pointed in the right direction, the Holy Spirit then is a fuel that will get us to where we need to go. We just need to point in the right direction again. It's a small thing, but it's a really big thing because it goes against our pride. And then he is the one who does the work of transformation in us. He is the one who moves us down that road so that we can become like Jesus. And so we all need the filling of the Spirit. We all need the filling of the Spirit every day. And so I want to give you a moment to consider this. You'll see that there is a reflection on the front of the bulletin. And I don't ask any questions or anything, but I make this a prayer. A prayer that says, Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your people as you create us anew to help you renew the face of the earth. Take a moment with that prayer. Do you know God? Have you been seeking his filling?